Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I am the great Brian Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again as we look at Mid-South Wrestling Television from September 18th, 1982, taped on September 15th. 1982 at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. But before we get going any further, the man who joins me each and every week, you know him, you love him, and you hear him on Booking the Territory. It is none other than Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? You ready for another action-packed week of Mid-South Wrestling action? I am. I'm ready. We've got a rather famous vignette that we're going to see during this episode, so that ought to be fun to get into. I don't know if you noticed, Brian, but Hank... Yes, cowboy hat guy is in the audience, but he is at the very far right of the hard camera. So he's almost uh, on the last seat. I actually think there may be two seats to his right. I know we're overanalyzing Hank here, but I just wanted to bring that up that Hank is in the building. So if you're looking for him in his normal spot, you're not going to see him there. If you're watching along with us, he's all the way to the right. Other than that, uh, we're going to see JYD and Olympia in action. And this is going to be a nice little episode. We got some stuff going on here that I think is rather fun, entertaining, and uh, a nice little jump into Mid-South as we go into uh, late of 82 at this point. All right, you open the door, so let's talk about this real quick for a second here at the top. During the opening match, I'm like, oh my God, Hank is not in his seat. I said, let me look at the left side, because remember there was that one episode he had the seat on the side. He's not there. Not only that, it's almost like a whole brand new front row. The old lady with the glasses is still there in her center seat, but there's a lot of young people around her that we don't usually see in the front row. So I'm thinking, not only is Hank not there, Hank's wife, the, the woman we assume is Hank's wife, she's not there. None of the other old women are there. What's going on? And then it's later on that you see Hank on the right side, past the ring post. Him and his wife are sitting there, and I really felt bad for him. Because I'm thinking, here's Hank. Comes to every television taping every two weeks in Shreveport. Sits in either the same seat or very close to the same seat. Always has a clear view of the ring. Now he has an obstructed view. Now there's potentially a ring post in the way for some of the action, and I legitimately feel bad. I legitimately feel like he deserves to have his seat at every taping, and so does the rest of the front row regulars. What do you think? Yeah, he does. He doesn't miss a taping, and, and some idiot took his spot. It's bullcrap. I'm not happy with this. Hank should be where he normally sits. Now, as we're talking about the audience members, I also want to point out that your friend, Mr. Pittsburgh Steelers shirt, is still sitting there, and he's acting like a jackass throughout the telecast. Did you catch that one, Brian? If he's annoying me, you got to figure he annoys Hank. You got to figure <laughs> Hank's like, who's this whippersnapper up there causing all this trouble? That's not the way we behave. You sit here, and you no-sell the action. You know something. Uh, that kid's handing yeah. it up for the camera. By the way, his parents, get him a new outfit. Unless he's Buck Robley's son and he always wears a yellow shirt for that reason, there's no reason this kid should be in the same outfit every show. Uh, he's a faithful Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Hey, Brian, uh, I, I, we got a little sidetrack with Hank and uh, Pittsburgh Steelers kid, but I did want to mention one thing. You, a couple of weeks back, had on Ricardo Coleman on the Super Podcast, and he did a fantastic segment on Mid-South Wrestling and JYD. And I just wanted to say, Ricardo, thank you for uh, sharing those thoughts as a fellow New Orleanian, and you were spot on with your assessment. Uh, I know we're going to get into these things in years to come on this show where we're going to talk JYD, and once JYD... JYD leaves and all that good stuff. But uh, I think Ricardo's, I think his responses and his thoughts and his insight and perspective were spot on with a lot of things as far as the dog when he starts gaining weight and the music changes and all that good stuff and his thoughts on watching wrestling at the Municipal Auditorium. So, Ricardo, I know you're a faithful listener to this show. Thank you very much. 
Uh, I enjoyed it, man. I thought that was a great segment on a 605. It, it, it really was, Brian. And and to your credit, I know you, you kind of gave me a heads up and you said, I think you're going to like this. And, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to toot your horn, but toot, toot. That was a really good segment. And uh, let's toot Ricardo Holm, uh, Coleman's horn like uh, Arn Anderson used to do back in the day. Toot, toot, Ricardo. That was a that was a heck of a segment on a 605 talking Mid-South Wrestling and JYD. I actually thought it was one of the best segments we've ever had, even though it's not with a wrestler or a wrestling personality. It was such a unique perspective, and it was such an enlightening look at the way fans in New Orleans, specifically fans who grew up in the projects, thought about JYD and thought about what Bill Watts would say on commentary. And I think I put it in the show description. It is a look at the rise and fall of Mid-South Wrestling and the Junkyard Dog in New Orleans. And I encourage anyone who likes this show to check out that segment on Super Podcast Episode 98. But like you said, it's a lot of things that you and I are going to be addressing in the future as we get into 1983 and, of course, 1984 with the changes in the Junkyard Dog and also the changes in Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be a lot of fun, man. I I, I could I mean, I honestly could do a, a the three of us, me, you and Ricardo could actually probably do a, another segment just talking about that segment um, because. I just I really enjoyed it, man. I mean, you know, when you live through certain things, you kind of have a your perspective on it is much different as than if you just read about something or you learn about something, you know, like in history books. I mean, you, you learn about history, but that's one thing. But when you actually live through history, it gives you a totally different perspective on it. And and I think like what Ricardo shared and I try to do that through this show. Uh, but what he shared is is very, very very, very unique. And I know there's tons of other Mid-South fans that, that share that same experience, but it was still a great insight from someone who attended those shows at the municipal. And, and, you know, he's, I think believe he's a little older than me. So he, he really saw a little bit more of the rise and fall of JYD. And, and that's what I think made it so great as he saw the different steps as JYD became a star in the territory to when he peaked to when he just you know, just the bottom started to fall out. I mean, you know, just this one thing, you know, when he started talking the story about JYD and the drugs and the housing projects and people were, were seeing him there and he's, you know, he's buying drugs. And I mean, come on, man, you can only get that perspective actually living through that part of it. And that's, um, you know, that's what, that's one of the things of many that made that segment so good uh, in Mid-South Wrestling and, and from Ricardo. It, it was, it was great. Well, it's one of those things when you're trying to uncover history, when you're trying to really talk about in depth and in detail and try to uncover new details about history, you want to talk to as many different people as you can. You don't want to just talk to, let's say, the Junkyard Dog and Ted DiBiase. Their perspective is from being in the middle of that ring. You don't want to just talk to the promoter. Their perspective is from being the boss, being the promoter. But when you talk to people like Ricardo, when you talk to people like you, there's a good example. Two people grew up in the same town, grew up in different places, a little bit of an age difference, but... Both saw the same wrestling and both observed different things. So when you're really trying to dive in deep as a historian and get detail and get information, that's what you want to do. You want to talk to as many people who are intelligent, at least, (laughs) that you could find. And even some of the dummies. Some of the dummies sometimes have interesting things to say (laughs) as well. I agree. I agree. So, Brian, I hated to hijack the show right there in the beginning, but I thought it was worth mentioning uh, that, that great segment on the 605. Well, let's end your hijacking of the show and let's let bill watts hijack another show this week as we begin this look at mid-south wrestling let's go to the show open this week mike because there's a few interesting things here we'll talk about it on the other side but boyd pierce and bill watts are about to play a rather notorious promo video as you mentioned earlier something a lot of people have seen a lot of people have heard and we'll talk about that in a second let's go now to the show open 
I'm your host, Boyd Pearson. We have a tremendous card. We'll see Johnny Rich, the cousin of Wildfire Tommy Rich, in the ring against Ted DiBiase, the North American heavyweight champion. A $1,000 wager between Colonel Buck Robley and General Skandor Akbar. We also have the Mid-South Tag Team titles on the line. It'll be the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia against Killer Khan and 454-pound one-man gang. Also another battle, the mass grappler in the ring against Mr. Rassing too. Our guest commentator, a man who needs no introduction, one of the finest men in the ring are out, Cowboy Bill Watts. Well, thank you, Boyd Pearson. This is a great card matchmaker Grizzly Smith has, but we also have some information on some new or some wrestlers that have not yet been seen in the Mid-South area that are on the way. And the first one is probably the most unique, individual, and maybe a terrifying situation I've ever witnessed a short film clip of. And let's join that now it's Kamala the Ugandan warrior who will be here in two weeks Kamala six foot nine inches tall Kamala 385 pounds Kimala the crudest man known to professional wrestling today. Arms and legs as large as trees. As strong as some of the largest animals known to man. Kimala. Six foot, nine inches. Kimala. 385 pounds. Kimala. Ugandan giant. Well, Boyd Pierce, without a doubt, this is an impressive looking individual. Strange. Well, it all just remains to be seen, but he'll be here on Mid South Wrestling in two weeks. And now let's go to ring announcer Jack Curtis. Boyd, Reeser Bowden is on vacation. Jack Curtis, our, who's in charge of uh, wrestling, Mid South Wrestling's international bookings, and helps out Gr Grizzly Smith all throughout the area that we are in is in there as the ring announcer tonight and we will give you an example of jack curtis as the ring announcer in a moment but let's first talk about kamala mike obviously this video a famous video shot in jerry jarrett's backyard i think jerry needs a gardener let's cut down some of the grass and everything it's a video of kamala after he was painted up by jerry lawler walking around and just this weak voiceover kamala he's bigger than most animals kamala <laughs> And, you know, the one thing that always interested me about the video was I always felt like he didn't look like Kamala facially. I mean, I know it is James Harris, Sugar Bear Harris, but I guess, I don't know if they put like a, like false teeth in his mouth and it pops up his lips or if it's just the nose ring. But facially, I always felt like he didn't look in that video like he ever looked in the ring or on a promo. Um, I think you've got something on that because his lips do look more puffed out than you ever really see him. Like, there's something to what you're saying. This vignette, put yourself into my shoes when I saw this. I'm almost seven years old, scared the death out of me. I mean, I was frightened. I've had the same conversation with Doc, Doc and Harper on BTT about this vignette. We have all come to the conclusion, and you laughed at me, Brian, last. <laughs> you laughed. We've all come to the conclusion that the first time we saw this, we really thought he was a cannibal walking through the deepest and darkest jungles in Africa. And we thought 
because he was this cannibal, he was going to find us and eat us. We were we were terrified. I I, I had nightmares of Kamala because of this vignette. I, I you know, when you're seven, you don't have a perspective on life. And this is real, man. Like, you know, little did I know he's walking through Jerry Jarrett's backyard. I thought this was, I mean, the the jungles in Africa. This guy's going to get us, man. He's going to kill us. He's a real-life cannibal. So it's rather famous. This would have, it just, it scared the crap out of me, man. This is just terrifying if you're a kid, Brian. I I know you laughed at me when I said, (laughs) I thought thought he was going to eat me, but I I really thought this guy would find me in my little house in New Orleans and and do some harm to me. But that's all I got to say about this rather famous vignette uh, as Kamala was getting ready to come into the territory. It is an effective promotional video. And of course he's coming in and he's going to be involved in some stuff soon. And you got to think that if, the wrestling business hadn't totally changed by 1984 uh, and 1985, and the territories hadn't died out and gone away. He would have had a completely different career, because obviously he's in Mid-South. He'll be in Mid-South again later on, like 85. He would have a run in world class. He was obviously in Memphis. You have to think if the territories had survived, Kamala would have been a traveling act that would have been able to go everywhere and work for a few months and then go somewhere else. Yeah, because that's what he, I mean, that's what he did. I mean, because like, you know, he pops up in Mid-South and he pops up in and in world class, at least for me, I'm looking at the timeline from my own eyes. Mid South and world class '83. So, like you, you know, you you see those different things where he di- he definitely did that. He he would go around. Uh, if the territories stay around, you know, he can he he would he would have been that traveling act that you and he kind of was. I mean, he definitely was at this point, but maybe a little 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 bit longer because of uh, who he was in the in the character he portrayed and whatnot as this um you know guy who would just go out and he was a cannibal and he would eat people. At least we assume. I, I know that's not what he really did, but you know what I'm saying. Reeser Bowden is on vacation, a well-earned vacation, I imagine. So Jack Curtis, local promoter Jack Curtis, is the ring announcer here. Let's play just a moment of this, his uh, initial introduction here for the opening match, so you can hear his voice and how it differs from the monotone stylings of Reeser Bowden. Ladies and gentlemen, your first event, one fall. Our 10 minutes from New York City, 275 pounds, Hacksaw Duggan. His opponent from Portland, Oregon at 241 pounds, Jesse Barr. Well, there you hear it, the voice of Jack Curtis, not bad. And he certainly gets more excited later on in the show whenever he announces a big baby face. Not bad at all. Definitely different than old Reeser. He's not. He's definitely different than Reeser, man. He doesn't get uh, amused at things, and uh, they, yeah. But I liked it. Jack Curtis was fine right there, man. Did you notice? I mean, maybe I'm wrong because sometimes you can't hear things clearly when they're in the background. But even here, it seems like there's a few fans already chanting Dugan in the background. I did notice that. I, I, again, not like I said when we talked about this. I don't. I just don't remember the Dugan chance this early, especially with him being a heel and in the infancy stages of the Rat Pack. It's very strange, like to go back and watch it and hear the Dugan chance at this point. I, I, and I, like part of me wants to say it's just people who are just like they're doing it sarcastically to him. And, but then I'm like, well, maybe there are people who really just did did like him for whatever reason. He was like, I guess, kind of a cool heel, but he's really not. So I don't know, man. I, I'd actually like to know, like, 
people who were in Shreveport and watched it, what you know, what they thought and where they thought these Dugan chants were coming from. Was it out of sarcasm to taunt him, or was it actually, you know, they were Dugan fans because he was just this kind of wild and crazy, you know, former football player who was, you know, a kamikaze type athlete, didn't care about harming his own body, and it was out of, you know, respect that they did the Dugan chants at this point. I remember the Dugan chants much later, not at this point. Maybe he turned around because he was a heel. Maybe at one point he turned around and said, it's Duggan. Don't call me Dugan. Because he really did not like being called Dugan, apparently. And then the fans jumped on that. And of course, when he became a babyface, now it was acceptable. Because now they're chanting for him to, to actually win as opposed to, hey, like, you know, when the Boston Red Sox fans started chanting, Daryl, during the 1986 World Series to taunt. <laughs> Daryl Strawberry, maybe it's similar to that, but uh, or or what did they do? What did they do to uh, what's his name from the from the Red Sox when the Yankees were were chanting, "Who's your daddy?" Pedro Martinez. Uh, Pedro Martinez, like maybe so that might have been it. Like he may have yelled at somebody in a crowd, just like you said, and said, "It's not Dugan, it's Duggan," and then that's what made him start chanting it out of just you know trying to piss him off and just get on his case. I, I, that could be it because I really don't remember the Dugan chants uh, this early in Mid South at all. Rick Ferreira is the referee here for this match. I got to say, once again, we've said it before, Jesse Barr does look really good in the ring. For an undercard guy, a young wrestler, he's solid. I mean, obviously he comes from a wrestling family, but he's solid in there. He actually looks really, really good. And he hasn't been on TV in a little while, so it's nice to see him back here. And we have a little bit of audio from this match, Mike, of Bill Watts talking a little bit about the tag title situation. You may remember two weeks back, there was a match between DiBiase and Duggan against Olympia and the Junkyard Dog. And there was a funny finish, and DiBiase and Duggan did not get the tag team titles. They did not leave with the tag team titles. Let's hear a little bit about this right now from the Cowboy. He and Ted DiBiase have definitely become an awesome tag team. As a matter of fact, they've been complaining that they won the tag title from Dog and Olympia in the ring, and it was stolen from them in the board of directors room of Mid-South Sports. And they think that they've really been shafted in so many words. They said the junkyard dog, Mr. Olympia, got the gold mine and they got the shaft. And I have to say that that's the only time I've ever heard of Mid-South Wrestling reversing a decision on television by videotape replay. Hacksaw Dugan trying to pin Jesse Barr. There you hear it, Mike. DiBiase and Duggan got the shaft. Yeah, and, you know, to watch his credit, he's mentioning again here, this is the first time, you know, even he, doesn't he, I say it like this, but he he actually sounds like he's in quite amazement that, you know, for the first time ever, a decision was reversed. So um, I think that was a, a good thing to point out, especially like when you consider, you know, where they're, where they're going with this thing and, and as it's going to continue to play out. So uh, I, I like watch just kind of making sure we don't forget that the title's were reversed for the first time in history. Like they actually use video tape replay uh, to, to, to strip the titles from them. You know, Mid-South wrestling has been very good about even when it's the most dastardly of heels, they kind of address them on commentary in a fair and balanced manner. Whether it was Bob Roop or whether it's this situation here. Yeah. DiBiase and Duggan are bad guys, but it was a unique situation that happened to them last week. It may not necessarily be fair. They may have an argument. So it, yeah. It goes to the credibility of Bill Watts and the commentators of Mid-South Wrestling that they don't insult what you've seen. And even if someone's a bad guy, they don't pretend like what happened to them 
wasn't wrong. Right. They own up to it, which is, I guess, something that doesn't happen in today's wrestling. Jim Duggan wins after he hits the spear, and then he runs corner to corner with Jesse Barr and hits him with a reverse backbreaker for the victory. And from there, we get the North American champion Ted DiBiase against Johnny Rich, making his debut on Mid-South Wrestling Television out of Atlanta, the cousin of Wildfire Tommy Rich, and of course Bill Watts does bring that up on commentary, Alfred Neely, the referee, and before we uh, get going with this, we have a little bit of audio we're going to play. Any thoughts on Johnny Rich here, Mike? Um, he gets in some offense on DiBiase, and he's, I mean, he's looking good. You know, watch references, like you said, how, um, well, you didn't, I think you mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned this just now, or I remember remembering it from the show, but watch references how DiBiase and Tommy Rich were good friends, and DiBiase shows no loyalty without he is treating Rich in this match. So I, um... This was this was kind of entertaining. I thought I thought Johnny Rich kind of had a nice little show in here against DiBiase. You know, there is a bit of a delicate balance. Uh, again, we have to go back and see if Channel 17 out of Atlanta was airing in Shreveport. What towns in Mid-South were getting TBS in 1982? But there are in- interesting scenarios. I mean, for instance, the Junkyard Dog was blinded a second time in Georgia. Fans in Mid-South saw that a year earlier. DiBiase was involved. The Freebirds were involved. So a lot of the people that you saw in Mid-South Wrestling, Buck Robley was in Georgia. A lot of the people you see in Mid-South Wrestling had a Georgia alignment as well. And there is that delicate balance. Of course, Bill Watts owned a piece of Georgia up until 1982, where you have to make sure what they're seeing on TV jives with what they're going to see on Mid-South TV. And let me point something out. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something that Ricardo said when he was on the 605 and he was talking about how the TBS show and and when New Orleans got cable. Brian, I, I don't remember when New Orleans got cable. So when Watts is mentioning TBS here uh, in New Orleans had a uh, Cox cable. I don't remember, like I, I didn't have cable at this time. So when Watts is talking about the TBS Superstation wrestling, I don't have a clue what he's talking about for the most part. I mean, I knew there was wrestling other places from the magazines, but I don't know what he's talking about. I have no visual reference to go look at and go, oh, okay, that's what he's that's what he's talking about. So that's a that's a big point to make because you you've you've got probably there's no way of me knowing, but there's probably a there's a small percentage of people who had the cable and got the TBS wrestling. But I don't. To me, I'm thinking it's probably not a big percentage. But you know, who who knows what that looks like? Maybe in the major cities, it's more. I I don't know. You know, you know what I mean? There's no there's no way to reference that. There's no way to tell who was getting it, and who wasn't. So that's a big deal. Watts is Watts is mentioning this about TBS, but it's probably throughout the territory a very small percentage of people I would think who who are getting it at this point. But I guarantee anyone getting it is watching Georgia Championship Wrestling was the highest rated show on cable television. So obviously it was making an impact in the early days of cable, even with less viewers. But with that said, Mike, let's get a little bit of audio right now from Bill Watts about Ted DiBiase, the Junkyard Dog, Wildfire Tommy Rich, and all this other stuff that we've just been talking about. Oh boy, Pierce, this is one match I've really been looking forward to because, well, it's got a lot of implications. Ted DiBiase has been telling everybody that he was forced into his conflict with the junkyard dog, that it was just one of those unavoidable collisions where he had to protect his family. Or If he hadn't beat the dog for the North American title, he would have had to leave the Mid-South area, so he was forced to take desperate measures. And he also claims that the dog's got a glass jaw, and everybody knows that's not true. Uh, I think everybody's pretty well, without a shadow of a doubt, that DiBiase is using that glove 
to more advantage than, than meets the eye. You notice there's no longer any tape on DiBiase's hand, and yet he still has the glove. And the interesting thing is that Johnny Rich, the cousin of Wildfire Tommy Rich, and Tommy was one of Ted DiBiase's closest friends in Atlanta. They were tag partners. They were together a lot. And let's just see how he treats the relative of a very close friend. And the crowd, of course, is loving it. Johnny Rich came down here from Channel 17 World Championship Wrestling to just try Ted DiBiase on for size. And right now, he has DiBiase on the run. And the people really love it. There you hear some audio from the Cowboy. I have to say, Johnny Rich looks good, a little sloppy, but, you know, this is early into his career. He's still figuring out things, but not perfect, not great, but all right. And the fans are behind him. He looks, you know, he's a young guy, and he's working against the dreaded heel, Ted DiBiase, who's doing a great job as a heel. He smiles at Johnny Rich. He says, come on, come do something. And then when he finally does something, throws him out of the ring, DiBiase's pissed. So uh, really effective there. Good stuff. Yeah, and, and you know, I like, I thought DiBiase, by the way he ends up defeating Johnny Rich, makes Rich even look stronger than he was because he yeah. cheated. So it took it took him loading the glove to defeat this guy who's making his debut. Um, even though Johnny Rich gets screwed here, I think it makes him look stronger in his debut, the fact that he went toe-to-toe with DiBiase. DiBiase ends up getting really pissed at him uh, with the throw outside the ring. And then, long story short, in the end, DiBiase can't even beat the man fair and square. He's got to load the glove, which Bill Watts, as you heard him say, the glove is no longer even taped. So that whole excuse of why he had to wear the glove and tape it and blah, blah, blah is now out of the question. That's not even relevant anymore. But he has to cheat to beat Johnny Rich here. So I thought that made Johnny Rich look good. And, you know, Watts did put him over and to the point you made he didn't look crisp and clean right there but um it, it was it was good enough i mean um he went there and battled with the mid-south champion you know north american champion so give him credit there he went toe-to-toe with him good stuff as you said he wins simply with the loaded glove just a punch to the face i don't even think we've actually seen that i mean i know he beat the dog after he hit him with the glove but that was after everything went on this is kind of dibiase saying enough i'm just gonna end this right, right now and just boom there yeah goes. yep well from there We get some more audio here. Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce talk a little bit about the situation that's been brewing between General Skandar Akbar and Colonel Buck Robley, or what is it? Buckley Christopher George. I'm getting it wrong. Buckley, you do it. You're better at this than me. (laughs) Buckley Christopher George Robley III. There you go. So we get a little bit of audio about this because, as they said at the top of the show, General Skandar Akbar has a bit of a challenge, a $1,000 challenge. And I just want to point out, why that's effective? Because $1,000 is reasonable. People believe that. Okay, that's reasonable he has $1,000. If Akbar came out and said, I have $50,000, like people would have gone, no, he doesn't. But $1,000 <laughs> is reasonable. Okay, 1000 bucks he's putting on the line today. And uh, we get a little bit of audio here. Let's go to this right now. Well, boy, everybody knows there's a battle for supremacy going on in the Mid-South area, a battle with two individuals that ask no quarter and give none. That's between Colonel Buck Robley and General Skandar Akbar. And Akbar is making his first appearance on Mid-South Wrestling to wrestle since being the North American champion. And he, knowing Robley is a sporting man, has made an unusual wager. Let's listen to that wager as Akbar pre-recorded it. Colonel Buck Robley, I'm a little sick of your accusations that I can't back up what I say. Now, I'm wrestling today on Mid-South Television for the first time since I was North American champion. Now, Robley, I know you're wrestling because I checked with Grizzly Smith. 
So I'd like to make a little wager. I understand you're a gambling man, although you squander and lose all your money on the racetracks, and you always come back to the Mid-South busted. Here's 10 $100 bills. A $1,000 that says I can beat my man today on Mid-South television quicker than you can beat your man. So how about it, Robley? Put your money where your mouth is. I haven't lost any of my skills. I only use all of my wealth to get things done that I want to get done. You dig it, Robley? Ten $100 bills right here. So let's have the little wager, Robley. Once again, I can beat my man quicker than you can beat your man right here on Mid-South Television. What about it, Colonel? Big mouth. Once again, put your money where your mouth is, Robley. Well, needless to say, Colonel Robley has accepted the wager. And also needless to say, Akbar had also checked to see who Grizzly Smith had as Buck Robley's opponent. And that man was Kelly Kaniski who's a world's champion, the former world's champion, Gene Kaniski's son. So seemingly, if Akbar can pull off a quick victory here, he will have Robley at a tremendous disadvantage. But matchmaker Grizzly Smith will be timing the fall. Let's go to ring announcer Jack Curtis. Well, there we hear it, Mike. A challenge. General Skandar Akbar says he could defeat his opponent quicker than Buck Robley can defeat his. This is the first match Akbar says he's had on Mid-South TV since he was the North American champion. Didn't he have a match a couple weeks ago? Yeah, technically he did. It wasn't supposed to be his match. If you remember, I think Gang was about to wrestle somebody, and Akbar was like, no, no, I'll do it. So, like, and then they jumped um, Mike Sharp, I think it was. I might be getting it wrong. But so I guess technically it wasn't a match, but it was. I don't know. It, it, it This is, you know, nobody had replay back then. You couldn't just go on YouTube and look it up. So I guess he could just get away with it. So technically I don't think he um, – I don't think he had a match. He wasn't scheduled for one, but he ended up he ended up in the ring jumping sharp. Uh, so this is his first technical match where he's literally in the ring, and we know that's who he's going to wrestle uh, up against Tim Warner. The whole idea that Colonel Buck Robley is a sporting man, someone who likes to gamble, someone who loses his money and comes back to Mid-South Wrestling, this has not been addressed on the commentary since Buck Robley's been back here in 1982. Is this something you remember ever being talked about before this, that Buck Roby had a gambling problem? No, but I had a question for you because I simply couldn't remember uh, Cornette talking about this years ago. But I seem to remember either a drive through or an experience where Corny talked about that when Robley was running the NWF in, I think, Kenner, Louisiana, he had he had a guy from the racetrack who was like a like his his finance guy yeah the guy who looked like and, elvis yeah right okay so i don't now in my mind back at this point when i'm seven years old almost seven i don't remember that that being a narrative where robley really was a gambler who lost all kinds of money but when i rewatched it for the show it made me think about when robley uh when when corny said that about robley having his money guy from the racetrack i was like so was that real? Did Robley really spend a lot of money at the track all the time? And, and later in life, you know, spending all that money, he met some guy at the track that ended up trying to fund wrestling in its dying years in Louisiana as a territory. I, that's what it made me think of. So, uh, but no, I, to answer your question, I don't think, I, not that I know of was, was that common knowledge. Now someone out there will probably know and they'll say, yeah, he was at the, he was at the Louisiana track all the time or in the, at the New Orleans track, but not to my knowledge, but it, it does make me wonder about that story later on when he had that money guy that he helped, that helped fund his promotion. 
it's a real groundbreaking program when you think about it. The idea that Buck Robley has a gambling problem. But <laughs> we'll see how much further they go with this here on the show. From here, we get our next match, Mike. It is General Skandar Akbar against Tim Horner. And Rick Ferreira is the referee. I don't have too many notes about the actual match. Do you have any notes? Uh, Akbar wins with a camel clutch. In two minutes and ten seconds. I guess that's an important thing to lay out here. We are doing who could win quicker. Akbar wins two minutes and ten seconds, and they've built it up a few times here. Buck Robley's not going against Tim Horner, a young wrestler. He's going against the son of a former NWA champion, of course, Gene Kaniski. And that is Kelly Kaniski making his debut here this week on the show. And we get that coming up next. It's Colonel Buck Robley versus Kelly Kaniski. Alfred Neely is the referee. But before this match gets going, General Skandar Akbar comes out, interrupts ring announcer Jack Curtis with an announcement. Let's listen to this, and then we'll listen to what happens during this match. We've got an announcement to make here, Jack Curtis. I'm always one step ahead of you, Robley. Right here. I don't think you know you're wrestling the son of former world champion Gene Kaniski. And I've got a nice, sizable bonus for this young man. And I feel confident that he can really, really give you a shellacking, Robley. As a matter of fact, I've got 10 $100 bills. Look at it. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Let the referee hold it. Okay, it, this match, you it took Akbar two minutes and ten seconds to defeat Horner, so you have... Let's see you beat that one, boy. You must win your match in less time than that to win $1,000, or you pay $1,000. Two minutes, ten seconds. Okay. This is one fall, a ten-minute time limit. Introducing from Canada at 275 pounds, this is Kelly Kaninsky. His opponent, the colonel himself from Amarillo, Buck Robley. Introduction, Kelly Kaninsky, already having been announced as the son of the former world heavyweight champion, Gene Kaninsky versus the man in a yellow shirt. Nobody yeah, calls Akbar me yellow, Buck already. The time clock's running on Robley, 2.10. Two minutes and ten seconds, and Akbar's trying to stall. Neely trying to get him out of there, but the devious one, Colonel Robley, he's loaded right there. One, two, three. Skandar Akbar just lost 1,000 smackers. $1,000, and Robley, Akbar trying to stall. Now Akbar snatched $1,000 away from Alfred Neely, but Buck Robley... And there's $1,000 up in the air out there right now, and the colonel is after Buck Robley, and he's throwing him out. Akbar trying to stall, and Robley's picking up the one $1,000. Colonel Buck Robley. Colonel Buck Robley's got a grand right there. I'm sure Louisiana Downs will be happy. Ten $100 bills, and we'll be back after this word from Mid-South Wrestling with the Mid-South Tag Team Title Match. Bill Watts says, I'm sure Louisiana Downs will be happy. So now he's getting in on the act that Buck Rowley likes to gamble also, <laughs> Mike. But there's a lot going on here. Why don't you explain what happens and uh, explain how lucky they are that that $1,000 didn't end up in the crowd when Akbar threw it in the air. 
<laughs> well, as you heard, Akbar had an announcement to make before the match with Kaniski, and he says, "Remember, if Kaniski goes longer than two minutes and ten seconds with Robley, then then uh, Akbar wins the one thousand. Well, Akbar is in kind of in there stalling and farting around, and he knows what he's doing. He's being a heel. I mean, you'd expect that. You could see it right away. He's like, yeah, giving Kaniski some last second like instructions and whatnot, and and. Kaniski or Akbar finally turns around and, and Watts does a good job of selling it. He's like, oh, Akbar's in there stalling. He's in there stalling. Well, as Akbar turns around and Kaniski turns around to tell him goodbye, Robley drop kicks Kaniski in the back after the stalling tech, you know, tactic. And then Robley wins in like 10 seconds when he pins Kaniski after the drop kick. And then Robley then drags Akbar in the ring and Akbar. Like he always flops around, he throws the money in the air, and Robley collects it, and Akbar powders out the ring. It was uh, it was mildly entertaining, and you know, give the fans credit if you if you look at. I, I kind of was like, wow, I don't remember this segment being very exciting when I was a kid, but I guess it was. But you know, to their credit, the crowd was into it. The the people there, they they kind of popped when Akbar got his just due and lost he lost his thousand dollars. And then the last thing, like you said. So there must be some kind of a rib on the side, you know, that, you know, underlying rib there that we just don't know about because you're right. Old cowboy says Louisiana Downs is going to enjoy this. So, you know, there there must have been something to to the to the fact that Robley just won a thousand dollars and he's going to go lose it gambling. So there you hear it. Colonel Buck Robley defeats Kelly Kaniski <laughs> with the cast drop. And from there, we get our next match. It is the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia versus Skandar Akbar's one-man gang and Killer Khan with Rick Ferreira as the referee. We have a little bit of audio here, but I do want to say one thing. There's two things that are really impressive in this match. One, the one-man gang tries to pile-drive Junkyard Dog, and Junkyard Dog gives him a backdrop. Simple maneuver, you think, but it looked really impressive, I guess, because of the size of the gang. And then... For the finish, I hate to spoil this for everyone, the Junkyard Dog hits what I think may be his most impressive thump ever on the one-man gang. Mike, I want to get your thoughts about that, but first, let's hear some audio of the closing moments of this match. The gang picks him up for the body slam, drives him in. Now the gang, the gang is distracting the referee and block it off, and Khan's going for the patented leap. Olympia got out of the way. They were trying to put him away and win the titles. Olympia. Olympia tags the dog. JYD in there with both men. Headbutts Killer Khan. Olympia drop kicking Khan. JYD's got 454 pounds in the air. He thumps him and the whole ring almost goes. Akbar tried to come in. Olympia holds him off in a victory. And listen to this crowd, boy Pierce, at the Irishman Neal Boys Club here in Shreveport. What a pandemonium. What a tremendous thump and a great victory for the Mid-South Tag Team Champions. Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia will return with more action after this important message. Mike, I said it right there. I thought that was the most impressive thump I've ever seen. But also it reminded me of something that Ricardo Coleman said on my show, which was, when Dog was on, you know, this period of time, 1982, something that you wouldn't see later on, he was explosive. You know, they always, they tried to keep Dog in tag matches a lot. Not just in the WWF, but here. You know, think about it. It was him and Buck Robley against the Freebirds. It was him and Mr. Olympia against the Samoans. Him and Mr. Olympia here again. The Junkyard Dog is someone, uh, you know, obviously earlier it was, what, him and Murdoch against 
was it Ernie Ladd and Bad Bad Leroy Brown? So they always tried to have him in tag team matches. And when he got in there, he was explosive. And you see a great example of that right here. Yeah, it was. It, it, Ricardo made a good point. He was explosive. Another tag team partner he had was Mike George. So he he definitely had right. his, his share. Yeah, he had his share of tag team partners. The thing was, I always have said this. Er, like, during this time period, even before this, Dog was good as a singles wrestler. I, the whole idea that he couldn't work, I think, feels like a myth that came about once he gained weight, which I guess it then does end up being true to an extent, where he just didn't look good. But yeah, he's, I mean, he's explosive here, to, to go back to what you're saying. I mean, he comes in, and he's on fire, and that thump you know he shoots gang off and gang comes out and you know to 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 gang's credit he positions himself well when he comes off the ropes um as far as having dog lift him up but dog spins around with him and he holds him up for a second and when he plants him what i used to love about the thump when jyd would hit it good is when he plants the guy him and the guy would, well, not necessarily the guy that he slams, but he would bounce off of whoever he thumped. And I, I always thought in my mind, like, man, that's what made the thump look so good because he's got the guy, he's holding him up, he twirls him, and then he hits him with it. And, you know, then it, when he hits the mat, those Mid-South rings were so good. They would sound off so good. And then JYD literally would, bounces off of the guy, not the ring, but the guy just made it look real good, and that goes back to what you said about the explosiveness of it all. He he hits Gang and nails him with it, and Gang is out for the count, and Olympia and George get the win. We probably haven't focused enough attention on just how good the one-man gang is, especially at this point in his career. But like you said, he's almost always in the right position. He goes up for any big moves that anyone does on him perfectly. The one He took some good bumps to the floor at various times. He doesn't become the fully formed one-man gang until he shaves the head and he starts becoming more vocal in the ring with, you know, all that stuff. But he is really good in there. For a guy his size, he's actually exceptional. For a guy his size, and I mean, he's still relatively young here in the wrestling business, he's really good. I mean, I don't, you know, Dog muscled him right there when he spins around with him and gives him that thump, but it, you got to give him credit. When he comes off the ropes, he posts really good and gives Dog a lot of help just on the initial go up of that move. So he he really did, and I mean, he he looks good, and you know, he, it's not like he's held any titles right now and whatnot. And he's, he's, I think if we look back, he's only taken really a few losses, whether it be in singles or tag. And I think, think those have all been the dog. If I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly, I don't really remember him, you know, losing to anyone else. So, um, yeah, he, he's young, but he's, he's still very good. And we don't give, we probably, you're right. Haven't given him the credit he deserves at this point in the promotion. Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia win when the Junkyard Dog hits One Man Gang with the thump. And from there, we get our next match. It is Mr. Wrestling 2 versus, and I'm doing air quotes here, The Grappler. And I'm doing that because this is actually the very first appearance on TV of Tony Anthony as Grappler number 2. We saw Tony Anthony on last week's show working as an undercard babyface losing a match. Here he is now under the mask, and of course, that would really be his first breakout role. He would team up with Len Denton as the Grapplers. They would become the Dirty White Boys, and then later on, he would be just the Dirty White Boy, and the Grappler would continue to be the Grappler. But we get this match here. 
I bring that up at the top. I'm not spoiling anything because right away the fans pick up on it. And right away Bill Watts picks up on it. Let's get a little bit of audio here. I should mention Alfred Neely, the referee. But here's Bill Watts a little bit about who is this grappler. Every time Wrestling 2 comes in the ring in the arena, you hear the whole arena go, two, 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 two. The man's like fine wine. He just, he just stays on top. He's an aggressive, tough guy. One thing I noticed, Boyd, during the commercial break is that the fans were looking at the grappler and saying that's not the grappler. And now that I'm gazing here at our monitors, the fans are starting to chat, chant they want the grappler even. I, I think there's something afoot here that the man is not built like the grappler. He does have an orthopedic boot on his right foot. He's in a grappler outfit. And I think Wrestling 2 is kind of wondering who he is too, but of course the match is signed. There's no way to prove who he is or who he isn't since nobody knows the grappler's identity anyway. Somebody just hollered that they smell a rat. I think that Wrestling 2 had better be on his guard. Of course, what he has to do right now is he's got to beat this man across the ring from him. Well, there you hear it, Mike. Some interesting audio. Really interesting to watch it as it's happening because you can hear the fans saying, we want the grappler. But to see them, to see the girls in the front row saying it, they're not saying it because they're fans, fans of the grappler. They're saying it because they smell bullshit. They smell it. And let's be real. You and I have seen now Tony Anthony wrestle hundreds of times. When you go back and watch this, now at this point in time in my life, when I was watching it as a kid, I didn't see it. But when you go back and watch it now, you can tell. You're like, man, that's Tony Anthony. Look how he's moving. Look how he's bumping. Uh, I've just seen enough of Tony Anthony's matches that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Dirty White Boy under that hood uh, taking those bumps. And it's not that he it's not that he looks bad. I don't mean it in that way. It's just he's got a certain style with the way he moves that you could just see it. You're like, wow, look at it. So uh, they knew they smelled a rat. Watts smelled a rat as well. And little did we know as the rat is being smelled and Watts is calling it out and the fans are calling it out. Well, Shortly, this doesn't go on too long, but the the actual official rat does come out. It's interesting to see just how on it the fans are. At one point, there's a girl in the front row. I've never seen her before. And she doesn't really turn to the guy next door, but she kind of says it, and you can see he's paying attention. She goes, that's not the grappler. You can read her lips. <laughs> she says, that's not the grappler. And then they start chanting, we want the grappler. So the fans were on to something, and quite frankly, so was Mr. Wrestling 2. And let's get a little bit more audio right now of the match, the end of the match, Mr. Wrestling 2 is going to try to unmask this grappler. And of course, Alfred Neely sees this as another opportunity to go flying to the floor. Let's listen to this audio right now. Wrestling 2, firing away. If you've ever looked at those cold eyes on that mask, you know how tough that man is. And right now, he's fed up too. And it, uh-oh, Alfred Neely just got in that melee over that mask. Alfred Neely just got thrown out. These men are fighting. Two's decided to unmask him, both of them down. And there, ladies and gentlemen, right there, the man waiting for that golden opportunity. The grappler. What's he doing? He didn't load the boot. He's trying to insult wrestling, too, by using his own knee lift as a weapon against the master. The grappler trying to add insult to injury right here. He's going for the coup de grace, but two scooped right out of the way. The master knows the defense to his own weapon, and wrestling, too, showing who can pop that knee. And he is taking his head off. And there's whoever he is back in the ring. 
Alberdele calling for the disqualification. He's seeing both men, but wrestling two's not stopping on the bell. He's firing away, and he's whipping them both. And everybody knows and listen to him. Two, two, two. Alpernelli calling for disqualification. Mr. Wrestling two's the winner. We still have time remaining. We'll have another standby match after this word from Mid South Wrestling. They know that's not the real grappler, but a few weeks ago they didn't know that wasn't the real Mr. Wrestling two. Yeah, right. That's so very true. That was a nice little finish, though, man. I I, I kind of liked it. You know, I, Alfred Neely takes another just flying spill out of the ring, although that one wasn't as bad as normal. But, God, he's just always bumping out of the ring. It's just the normal bump. You expect it when you watch Mid-South at this point. Um, you know, w- we assume, uh, you know, because he's a masked man, you heard it there, but the real grappler comes down the ringside and gets in and starts hitting you know, two with the knee lift. And then before we know it, wrestling two decides I'm going to block this. And, and he then sends the real grappler reeling. And then by that point, Alfred Neely realizes, wait, this is a fishy situation. We got two grapplers here. Alfred Neely calls for the bell. But uh, the good thing about it was two, not only wins, but he gets both of the grapplers back at that point and sends both of them reeling and doing so. Making the fans very happy in the process. Mr. Wrestling two wins via disqualification. And from there, we get the Louisiana State Champion, Iron Mike Sharp, against someone we have not seen before, Larry Clark, with Rick Ferreira as the referee. The only note I have for this match, Mike, is that Larry Clark is not very good. And you can kind of see that right away. As soon as they lock up, he doesn't have to lock up properly. Yeah, I don't know who this guy is. He doesn't look very good. Um, he looks, I mean, I don't know if it's his first match or whatever, but he... He looks like he's just, you know, happy to be there. And let me go ahead and I'm wrestling the Louisiana champion. Brian, I want to mention something about Louisiana and Mississippi champions because real quick, we didn't talk about this during the JYD and Olympia match and uh, against uh, one man gang and Khan. But Khan was wearing a belt and that was the Mississippi heavyweight title that Khan was wearing. Um, I can't remember if we talked about this, but he won that title at the end of August in Shreveport from uh, the research I did and looked up. And again, I only bring that up because. Uh, I don't know if we've really talked about Mississippi title in a while, but but uh, Sharp is out here and he's still Louisiana champion. He was taking the belt off. So when I saw Sharp with the belt, I go, I go, wait, um, Khan had the Mississippi title on earlier. And and I went back in my notes and I was like, let me make sure I make that note to mention that here. So anyway, and then maybe it's good that we haven't really talked about the Mississippi title because we talked about this a couple of weeks, couple months back. There was a defense of the Mississippi title in Shreveport. And remember, you and I were like. Wait, so the Mississippi State champion is wrestling in Louisiana on TV. We don't know if that makes much sense. But anyway, just wanted to point that out in case anybody out there goes, hey, what belt was Khan wearing? It was the Mississippi one at that at that stage. But to the point you made, yeah, I don't have much from this. Iron Mike Sharp wins quickly with the pile driver to Larry Clark. It's never addressed on TV, but it's a relatively quick title run. Killer Khan defeats Mr. Olympia in Shreveport on August 27th to win the title, and he loses it back in Jackson, Mississippi, to Mr. Olympia days after this television show on September 22nd. So maybe that's why it's not addressed. And, of course, by the time you get to 1983, they would later retire the Mississippi and Louisiana State Championships. Yep, I remember when they did it, too. I think Watts says something like, you know, we're more of a just a small promotion. I can't remember the exact language he used, but I seem to remember them talking about that. And it made a lot of sense. I mean, you've got the you got the tag titles. Uh, you've got the North American title. Uh, I, I always felt like the Louisiana and Mississippi titles were 
Although they they do an angle with they did the angle with Sharp and Khan over Louisiana title. I always kind of felt like they were they were more for the for the you know non televised events, but I don't know. Uh, and I, I want to correct myself a second ago. I said maybe they they stopped showing the Mississippi title on TV because because we're in Louisiana. Well, I just realized well Shreveport is in Louisiana and, and Khan defeated <laughs> Olympia in Louisiana for the Mississippi title. So yeah, let me scratch what I said a second ago. But yeah, I think. I, I didn't. I remember as a kid, it didn't really bother me that they eliminate the title later on. It just, you know, because I mean, I don't know if they really put a lot of emphasis on it. Even though, again, the, the little feud that that Sharp did end up having with with Khan was was pretty good. I mean, I I think we both enjoyed that, and it was a good like secondary storyline that was going on, and uh, it was it was good stuff on TV for a few weeks. Iron Mike Sharp wins with the pile driver, and from there, Mike, we get clips from. Atlanta, Georgia, although Bill Watts says it's from Florida, of Gordon Soley calling a match between the Mongolian Stomper with his manager Don Carson against Jim Jones. The only note about this, I guess, Mike, is that there's something that Don Carson says on commentary that is so bad that not only is it edited out of the WWE Network version of this, it's even edited out of the original Mid-South wrestling airing of this, and we don't know what it is. Yeah, and so he's about to say something about Jones needing to be under a, under a tree with a car, and they then bleep whatever is said out. It's, and I was like, so I was thinking man, I wonder if the original footage is like that too. So I was, as I was taking notes, I was watching the original footage. It's bleeped out of that as well. So I don't know what he said. I don't, I don't know if he made mention to the man doing drugs under the tree or was trying to, or he made an off color joke. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking he made some kind of racist remark that even Gordon Soli was like, wait a minute. (laughs) We can't have that. But I mean, we think about wrestling back then, man, he never bleeps. Oh, I don't say never, but there was so much stuff that was said that was racist on television. Uh, I'm shocked it got bleeped out in 1982. If anyone knows, if anyone has the original episode of Georgia Championship Wrestling that this aired on, let us know. I'm sure you and I both have it in our collections, but it'll probably take us a little bit of time to go find it. If anyone knows (laughs) what was said here, let us know. But they air this match and then a brief video montage of the Mongolian Stomper in Georgia. And then we go back to the desk and we get the close of the show with Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce. We'll play this audio, but I have to say, Mike, this is a weird ending to the show. No other episode of Mid-South Wrestling ends this awkwardly. Let's play this audio and see if it's apparent in the audio. Well, Boyd, there you just saw in action the Mongolian Stomper, an awesome man, a, a tremendous physical specimen, another man that is in tremendous condition, an able manager in Don Carson. He'll be coming to the Mid-South area very shortly. But we've had a lot of action here today, and I think that really the thing that I enjoyed probably the most was Buck Robley turning the tables on Skandar Akbar, a man who had the $1,000 up. He had a tremendous opponent for Buck Robley and Kelly Kaniski, the former world's champion's son. And there's no doubt in my mind, and I'm sure Buck can tell you himself, he's an honest man, that he had 2.10 to beat the guy, 2 minutes and 10 seconds that if Kelly Kaniski had gone out there as a young man in his shape and wrestled Buck Robley hard and tough, I don't think Buck could have beat him in the two minutes and ten seconds. But Akbar being the greedy individual, trying to hedge, and they rang the bell, and Akbar knew the clock was running, so he's sitting there trying to stay in the ring and stay in the way. And the colonel, the man that's always thinking, the one with the devious mind, 
he figured a way to turn the edge to his advantage, and he drop-kicked Kelly Kaniski, driving him into the colonel, and he caught him in 22 seconds, and he got $1,000, and so I think that was exciting. And, of course, Johnny Rich, your first time here on Mid-South Wrestling, we want to welcome you back. You certainly made a name for yourself, but you also certainly proved without a shadow of a doubt what Ted DiBiase's true nature is. Be back next week. Buck Robley in a lumberjack match against the one-man gang. And that's it. That's how the show ends. No goodbye. No, we'll see you next week on the Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Just Bill Watts saying that, and then it fades to black. Weird ending. I felt like the fact that they put that segment with the Mongolian Stomper and Jim Jones, and then they then spend about a minute and 40 seconds, 30 seconds here at the end with Watts and Boyd. I almost feel like they were just trying to like fill some time. They didn't have the time worked out all the way, and that that's all that was. So that's why that's why I felt like a weird ending. Not really. They weren't they weren't trying to cram in something that they needed to get in. They were trying to just fill up and filibuster some time to make sure they had it uh, enough time on the network. That that's what it felt like here with this ending. Well, with that, Mike, we have wrapped up another episode of Mid-South Wrestling. And as we begin to close out this show, we want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast, and you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcast. You can also follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Facebook, facebook.com slash Vanguard for all updates about all podcasts and videos and more that will be coming at you in the coming weeks and months from the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Of course. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast, classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. Mike, let the listeners know how they can stay in touch with you and how they can listen to you each and every week, multiple times on Booking the Territory. Hey, first, I want to say those five-star reviews on Apple podcast, they keep coming in. So we thank you, Brian and I both. It's, it's a, yes, we love it. Thank you. Keep giving them to us. We can appreciate it. Those as Brian used to say on the six Oh five, those Apple algorithms uh, love the five-star review. So (laughs) please, please, please keep giving us those five-star reviews and write a nice little comment. And uh, we thank you for that, but you can listen to myself, hard body hopper and doc Turner twice per week at tinyurl.com slash BTT pod. We are booking the territory, the unprofessional wrestling podcast because language is strong and we tell a lot of not politically correct jokes and we enjoy southern wrestling we do our nwa saturday night show on thursday nights it drops at 7 p.m central time and the smoky mountain wrestling recaps drive drop drive drop every single sunday night at 7 p.m central time so please come join us it's a fun time we go week by week episodic just like we do with mid-south wrestling uh and it's a fun time we, we really do enjoy ourselves and follow me on twitter at mike 504 saints i'd appreciate it and that's it that's all i got brian another fun and maybe another uh, one of our longest episodes of mid-south wrestling the mid-south wrestling television review is a production of the arcadian vanguard podcast network For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!